lot to cover. I was hoping to conclude our study on Josiah. That's probably not going to happen. Dale, if you could do me a favor and get us on slide 24. We don't have to, I'll just let's make sure I've got this on. Uh, okay, keep it right there. Just right there, brother. So I was thinking on the way over here, I wasn't going to show you this slide, but I decided why not? You know, elections have got a lot of people discouraged, disappointed. People wanted conservative leaders, and it seems like America's made a choice to go a different direction. I'm not surprised by it. And this whole time we've been studying those last four weeks, five weeks on Josiah, the whole thing is Josiah was facing God's judgment. There's no stopping God's judgment. And despite all that, Josiah says, I'm going to do right. I'm going to clean house. The judgment's not going to stop God's judgment, but I'm going to do right no matter what. Because it's right to do right for God. And I got to thinking about things aren't really going well for America spiritually. <laughs> That's an understatement, right? And I, and I thought about the, these, these statements here. If America turns completely away from God and it could happen, I'm going to do right. That's really what I'm, that's, that's my prayer. I don't have the ability to do right. I, have, I need God's help to do right. I don't want to be a Peter who says, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to go to prison with you. I'm going to die for you. You know, we saw how that turned out for Peter. So I need God's help to do right. This isn't about me just doing right because I want to do right. It's about God helping me to do right. And I thought about if my political party or leaders are not elected, which a lot of them weren't or not going to be. I don't have control of what they do in other states. But I'm going to do right. It doesn't matter what the political, it really should not matter for God's people. It really shouldn't. I mean, we want that. We want God to raise up leaders, but for whatever reason, he's chosen not to. And for us as God's people, we're going to do right despite that. And he says, you know, who knows what the economic outlook for, for America is. It just, I, I don't quite understand it right now. Back to the old school. How's that? Yeah. I'll let you figure that out. So again, economically, if we don't, things don't turn out right. I'm still going to do right. And if I get fired from my job because of my faith, because of wokeism out there, and I mean, I'm talking to some folks back in Atlanta, and the three girls they have went to go apply for a job at Kroger, and Kroger's first uh, set of priorities was you're going to go to training to be sensitive to uh, the alphabet soup group. And, and the three girls made it through, two girls made a choice not to go work for Kroger. Now, I could debate that, you know, but their convictions were there's no way I'm going to, that's not going to be my world. I'm not going to. I'm not going to promote that. And that's what I've always said. It's one thing to be dealing with. It's another thing to be promoting it and celebrating it. We, don't, we love people. We love sinners. But, we're, but there's a point where you're not going to celebrate their sin and promote it. And that's where we are in a country. And people are going to get fired for standing up. Isn't it funny how the Christians have the least amount of rights in this thing? 
but I'm going to do right. And the reason why is Josiah did. We learned a lot from Josiah. We're going to learn, we're going to continue to learn. There's a lot of gleaning from Josiah. I mean, I could have gotten through this thing in, in 40 minutes and uh, just piled it on. Some of it's pretty, pretty basic. Thank you, brother. But um, one thing's for sure, there's so much to be learned from the studies of Josiah. And what we um, left off last week, we're going to kind of hit on pretty hard this morning. Let's make sure. Is this on? All right. Don't you love technology, man? I mean, how many times do I have to deal with technology flaws? That's okay. The devil may be in the details, but anyways. Um, we've been talking about, um, in 2 Kings 23, the action steps that he took, and this is we're getting toward the end of these action steps. So this one is where um, Josiah goes in and he removes the horses and the chariots which seems like an odd step, an action step to take, but you understand what's involved in these horses and these chariots to make him kill these animals and take the chariots away. Because both of these were given to the sun. We'll talk a little bit about that, uh, which is the god, Ra, which is the Egyptian god, the sun god. And so these animals these were used in battle were given over to the sun god they were and and the spirits they they believe the spirits would go into the animals and give them strength in battle and would fight for them and and so he understood enough that there's a spiritual battle going on which is really what this is about he had enough discernment to know there's a spiritual battle between what's not seen and what's seen and what's seen can be influenced by what's not seen and he made the decision to get rid of these horses and the chariots of the sun with fire, which I think is interesting. So, again, involving the sun god, the spirits that worked for the gods that were entered into these horses and these chariots, at least that's what their belief was. And I thought about Ezekiel 1. We talked a little bit about this last week where God really, he kind of removes the veil. He kind of pulls back the veil and allows us to see a little bit behind the scenes. I'm working on a study that takes us behind the scenes, the spiritual world out there and what's going on. And this is one of those activities where there's, there's a lot going on here that's real. And what I've, as I study this out and as we kind of look at this briefly, what we're going to learn that Satan is just an imitator of God. He cannot create anything. God created it all. Satan was a created being. And, and so, but he's learned in his power that God's given him is to manipulate and influence men to worship objects that God made. Some of these objects are not seen objects. They're angelic, they're spirit beings, and he gets men to worship them. But a lot of these things were created by God, and they're behind the scenes. Satan knows about that and somehow convinces men to worship these things. One of the things that's been worshipped um, throughout the, the ages is the sun. It's an object. Romans 1, verse 25, says, um, who changed, they, it tells us, who changed the truth of God. It's talking about the heathen, the pagans, the lost world. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature 
more than the Creator. Now, the creature is the creation. So, men aren't evolving as we've been taught. They're devolving, and they're getting to the point where they, instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping what God created. And one of those objects was the sun. It was prevalent, and not as much today, but it was back then, and the, the spirits that were involved in that. And I always thought that was interesting, since it's always been a big object of worship, sun, the sun god, Ra, and sun in general. <clears throat> I gave some thought to this. The greatest visual we have of the lake of fire in Scripture is the sun. Now, I don't know if God is going to use the sun as the lake of fire, because it's, it's liquid fire. I mean, it's, I don't know. But one thing's for sure, as I can learn about creation and about God through creation, and when I look at the sun, I have the greatest visual in all of God's creation of the lake of fire. Isn't it interesting that men are worshiping that piece? Because that's their destiny, where their worm dieth not. Also, in Malachi chapter 4, which is the last, we know the last, book in the Bible, the last chapter, that context is the second coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ is about wrath. Now he's coming to heal the nations, he's coming for Israel to restore them, I get all, but the second coming is about a war. This isn't about the Lamb of God, this is about the Lion of God. So in Malachi 4, the context is the second coming, the wrath of God, and it says, and they shall burn as the oven. And what does the Bible call Jesus in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2? The Son, S-U-N, of righteousness in the context of the second coming. So the Son has always been an object of worship. The problem is men are worshiping the wrong object. That are worshiping Jesus Christ as the Son of Righteousness, they're worshiping Satan as the small S-U-N. So, something we can learn. And he understood, Josiah had an amazing discernment for a man who did not get exposed to the Scriptures until he's age 26. Though he was saved at 16, exposed to Scriptures at 26, and it was a game changer when he heard about the God judgment. He said, we got a clean house and we got to clean it now. So, in this context of the chariots and the horses and the spirits and what's behind the scenes, I'm going to take you to 2 Kings 5, verse 17, which is really interesting because it says Elijah prayed. Now, Elijah's with the servant, of the man of God is with his servant. They're physically surrounded by horses and chariots. And he's like, wow, there's more of them than there is us, obviously. And this is what Elijah says. Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. What? He's looking. He's already made the claim. I, I see horses and I see chariots, but this is not the prayer. He's, he's not praying about a physical visual. He's talking about a spiritual behind the scenes. And notice what he says. Lord, open the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about. You believe that? Uh, that could be happening right now, right here. We don't know that. We can't see it. But that's what he's saying. And, and notice, 
there's horses and chariots, but they're God's horses. And they're God's chariots, but Satan has taken those things, he's gotten man to worship them into false gods. And Josiah had enough sense to get rid of them. Boy, if God help us, we need discernment about spiritual things. This whole political arena that we're in and this whole alphabet soup battle and transgenderism and abortion, this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle for God, against God. The whole thing is to get this next generation to totally remove God from their thoughts because they're so sensitive to the things now that any mention of God opposing that means you're a, a hater, you're racial. They, they've got this whole uh, label thing now going. And the Christians are the one. This is really about Satan going after God's people. This isn't some, my, elect, my president or my uh, uh, official got elected and yours didn't. That's ridiculous. That's not what this is about. This is about a spiritual war, and this is what's going on. May God, people, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Let's just remember that. But against principalities and powers. I thought about a little deeper than that. So just another comment about Satan influences people to worship what is an imitation of the real thing. God had horses and chariots. Satan used that to get men to worship that. And then Josiah said, we're, we're going to do away with that kind of worship. But I want to go a little deeper. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15. Paul dealing with this, this spiritual world that we're dealing with. He said there are false apostles, deep, deceitful workers, transforming themselves. And here's the catch. No marvel. It's like, this is not a big deal. You should know this. <laughs> I like the way, he, no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into what? Now that's behind the scenes. You think we're capable of not being manipulated and influenced? If he can transform himself, the only way you're going to know the difference is by the Word of God. And so, what I'm showing you there is spiritual beings, Satan uses those to get people to worship. And there's a whole New Age um, movement out there that worships these type of things. And it's influencing, it's penetrating every aspect of our culture and our society. We just, it's subtle. You don't even know it sometimes. And then, of course, I like what Paul says. Hey, this isn't a great thing that his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Jesus said to the most religious people ever, Ye are of your father, the devil. Wow. So he called them children of Satan. Ministers of righteousness. Satan. So I took that a little further than what the whole study about Josiah was, but I wanted you to get that in your thoughts regarding the discernment we need about the spiritual world and the spiritual realm that we deal with. A lot of our battles aren't really physical, they're spiritual. Moving on. Okay. 2 Kings 23.12. Now, next step, which this kind of blew me away, so I'm reading it, and, and he's smashing the altars, and he's burning the bones, and burning everything. And this boy's just cleaning the house. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And the high places, these are worship centers. So let's think of a worship center like a church. High, uh, high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of, notice that, corruption. He didn't call it Mount Olives. 
He called it Mount Corruption. The reason for that is because these worship centers were there present, which, by the way, Solomon, the king of Israel, had built it for Ashtoreth. And I thought when I read that, I'm like, wait a minute. I was blown away by it. These worship centers were put up in 930 B.C. We're in 613 B.C., 300 plus years later, and those things are still present. Wow! And mentions it by name. Solomon, the king of Israel. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then it talks about the other gods and their abominations. And the king did defile them. He destroyed those things. So I got to thinking, wait a minute. 300 years, this is, this is just mind-boggling that God let that happen all that time. Now, that doesn't mean God wasn't judging. We know in 722, he judged the northern tribes. He's going to judge the southern tribe, Benjamin and Judah. It's coming. But I thought about all those years, why didn't God judge? Why didn't he just clean house? Why didn't God judge? Why did he wait so long? Now, a lot of us are going to, I want you to think about that. Why didn't God judge the northern tribes? I mean, all the evil tricks of Jeroboam. He, we'll talk a little bit about Jeroboam in a minute here. And his perverted idolatry. Why did God let them continue for several hundred years? Hmm. And the same thing with Judah under Solomon, who put all those worship centers. Why didn't God just judge that and deal with it? Why, why would he wait so long? There's only one reason. And only one way to understand this is God is long-suffering. However, he does have a limit to what he puts up with. So that when we talk about long-suffering, most of us are short on long-suffering. By the way, that's an English term for suffering long. Just take it and flip it around. It's like um, full of care, careful. So, Long-suffering, suffering long. That's suffering long. Most of us have a short fuse when it comes to things like this. And, we, you know, we, had, we were in charge. I can tell you, we're not going to wait that long. That's why I always jokingly say, why didn't, Adam, Adam, why didn't God just take care of business with Adam and Eve and just wipe those ingrates out and start all over? Because God is long-suffering. And by the way, that's a beautiful trait for the child of God. And one that we really need. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to pray for patience. Long the only way to learn long-suffering is to suffer long. you got to suffer. you got to put up with someone who's hurting you. And you got to learn to suffer with them. And suffer through it. That's what God did for His people. But he does have a limit. And I thought about Genesis 6, verse 3. My spirit shall not always strive with man. And for that he also uh, is man. And it says, what I think the rest of that verse says, yet his day shall be 120 years. So God said, okay, I've let this thing go on long enough, but now I'm giving you 120 years and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do business. And he judged the world. And only eight people were in that boat along with the animals. By the way, the animals got on that boat. They had more common sense. They had more sense than the people. Amazing. But God gave them a time frame, a time limit. Don't, sometimes I wish God would do that for us. You remember in 1988, that, that whole debacle with the guy who wrote 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Should Occur in 1988? 
You know, I was a young kid, young believer. You know, I wanted it to happen. You know, I just, you know, Lord, you got to come back. You know, exciting. And, you know, obviously didn't happen. Um, but God doesn't give us a time frame for a reason. And I think it's because he calls us to live by faith. If he gave us a timetable, it's like getting the answers to the test. If he told you, hey, five years from now, this is gonna, this is all going to burn up. And by the way, you're all going to lose everything. And I, I don't know. That might change a lot. <laughs> might change a little bit of how we, some of us will go south. Some of us may go closer to God. But God just doesn't do that. He says, I want you to live by faith. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, in the context of the appearing of Jesus Christ, it says, every man that hath this hope purifieth himself. There's just something about this whole life is about us living by faith. It's like a test. And if God gives you the answers to the test, you're not living by faith really anymore. Now, we can know times and seasons and understand, but we just don't know. But in that case, I'm not sure God announced it, but he tells us in Scripture, you got 120 years, and this, this thing's about to self-destruct. And he did. He, he brought judgment. And so, and that's what happened to Israel, the northern tribes in 722. He said, I've had enough. Long time. 300 years is a long time. Uh, and now, uh, judgment is imminent for the southern tribes, Judah and uh, Benjamin. So, but, notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from his fierceness of his great wrath, Judgment's coming. I don't care what anybody, what you do, Josiah, as good as you're going to do and right as you're going to do, and God's people get right, it's coming. I know that's a tough message. We certainly don't, <laughs> you know, want to hear that, but God had a limit, and he waited long enough, and you can understand that. Here it is again, the high places that were before Jerusalem, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth, by the way, is the female... God of war and sex. So this was the this was the prominent uh, female deity, also known as the Queen of Heaven. Now there's a lot there I'm not going to get into, but the Queen of Heaven. There's a lot of that going on in religion today. Even churches refer to themselves as the Queen of Heaven. There's a church in Orlando that's big. There's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. But Ashtoreth is the Queen of Heaven, the goddess of female goddess of war and sex. It's interesting that a lot of their deities had to do with you know, war and a sexual, sexual perversion, to be honest with you. That's why they gave them, themselves their bodies for prostitution. Remember the Sodomites? So, Solomon is mentioned here, which I thought was interesting because he reigned for 40 years, 970 B.C. to 930. His heart drifts from God because of his love for foreign women. Now, he had a little bit of his dad in him. His dad had struggled with women. And now Solomon goes in there, and he's like full-blown. You know what they say? What we do in moderation, our kids do in excess. Now, that's excess. That's 900-plus wives. <laughs> that boy, I don't, I don't get it, but he drifted from God because of those foreign women. So instead of the women that God would give him, he exchanged that and drifted. They were adulterous women, and as a result, he sets up worship centers for all these, you know, these wives that he has. These worship centers is what you're reading about here that Solomon, God's man, set up. 
So here we are in 613 B.C., and these worship centers are still present. Unbelievable. Josiah is saying, I don't care who erected them. I'm tearing them down. Now, you got to remember, not one king, even the good kings, ever took this type of action. Why? Because Solomon was the golden boy. Revered, respected. No one was going to mess with Solomon. This boy said, I don't care. This is not for God. God's not for this. I'm taking it down. So there's a lot, there's a lot we could study in that, just that comment alone. But I love the fact that he said, I don't care what Solomon did. We're, we're going to take action. And he did like no other. And may God give us the courage of Josiah. Now, in all fairness, Solomon, toward the end of his life, so he starts off strong with God. And beautiful relationship with God. And then it just goes south because he gets himself caught up with people that don't believe in God. They pull his heart away from God and he drifts to the point of wicked stuff. But toward the end of his life, he gets right with God. I mean, he really, in all fairness, his heart becomes more tender. It's obvious from Ecclesiastes, he wrote, hey, everything I've done is just vanity. If it's not God, it's vanity. And how does he conclude that book? He said, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So really, you can see that, you know, that there's some kind of, I'm sorry for what I've done. Like he looked back at that thing and said, man, what have I done? But here's the thing that I learned from this. Be careful how far you drift from God. You know, it only takes, oh, I don't, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to read my Bible. I don't feel like praying. And just little drifts, little, little, become bigger, longer, further. Next thing you know, you're thinking differently. You're not Bible-minded. It's a, in the world we live in, the, the pressure and the influence is much greater. And so, like Solomon, we have the danger of drifting to the point where we look back and say, man, look at what we have done. What damage. I always say, be careful how far you drift because the damage you leave behind is going to affect your family and your children and your children's children. What's the song say, Tom? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O Lord, and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. But prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to love, leave the God I love. It can happen to any one of us. And probably has happened to a few of us. But Solomon regretted it. You can tell toward the end of his writing. and But the damage is done, and it stayed around for 300 years, and Josiah said, that's it, I'm done. We're taking this, this junk out. I don't care who erected it. And that takes a lot of courage. May God give us the courage. We've got a few minutes left here. So now, this is one of the last action steps, and he's, now he's done, he's been working in the south, cleaning the house, now he heads north. So basically, he mentions Jeroboam here, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Have you... For those of you who have read your Bible through, or you've gotten through Kings, whew, that's a tough, those are tough books. Chronicles, I mean, I'm telling you, it's tough. I, I enjoy it, but there's one thing that stood out as I'm reading. 
The evil kings had always often said the sin of Jer they committed the sin of Jeroboam. You ever read that? This boy, Jeroboam, is stamped all over. His sin is stamped all over it. I'd want to know what really was his sin. And, and he said, this is, he's going to take business with these altars. He's going to burn them. He's going to pulverize them to the point they're powder, and he's going to cast that powder over uh, the groves. It's a, it's a way of defiling. So he takes this charge north. Now, it's important for you to understand Jeroboam. So after Solomon dies, you've got two kings that rise up. The, 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 Israel's going to be split into, the 12 going to be split 10 and 2. 10 of the northern tribes, which now we've been dealing with two of the southern tribes. And the 10, and then, so Jeroboam's got the northern tribes. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, has the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Neither are good kings, by the way. But Jeroboam gets a little bit jealous and says, oh, my people, Israel, goes down into Rehoboam's territory in Jerusalem to worship God. They're gonna, they might turn to him and make him king. So Jeroboam, out of his pride, says, I got an answer. I'm just going to set up a couple worship centers, which includes golden calves. Hard to believe. But he puts together a couple golden calves, and he puts them in Bethel and Dan in the northern tribes and gets the people to worship there, and they never go back down to Jerusalem to worship. And he's, thus he protects himself and his kingship. Um, go back into Exodus 20 or 32. It's amazing that they set these golden things up, these, these calves, and yet, what did they not learn from this? Because God killed 3,000 people when Moses came down the mountain and saw them worshiping the golden calf. He had 3,000 people killed for that. God was really angry for that. And yet here they are setting these calves up to worship. And I, I thought that was really interesting because that just goes to show you people just don't learn from history and they don't learn from God. And they just keep on doing the thing that's wrong because it feels good. And, 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 and yet God, every time he mentions it throughout Scripture with the evil kings, they made Israel to sin. Jeroboam made Israel to sin. Why? They worshiped the false god while commingling with God himself. And that was the 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, you can't serve God and serve Satan and drink the cup of devils and the cup of God. You can't do it, the Lord. So, interesting that God, now he, Josiah heads north and says, we're going to take care of business there, and he does. It looks like we're going to have to close out. So, I'm going to stop. The, we're going to, believe it or not, we're going to bring this to a conclusion, about, about five minutes, maybe ten minutes give you some really interesting stats next week, uh, Lord willing. Um, and then we're going to pick up a couple different random studies that I'm working on. May the Lord use that. And hopefully you've gotten some stuff out of here you take away, help you, help you to do right, because it's right to do for God, no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are. Help us to be like Josiah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together as your people. Nothing is done by coincidence. We believe, dear God, you brought us here with a purpose. You've placed us under your word uh, to help us, Lord, to edify us. I pray, God, you'll just use uh, these things that have been spoken today. The Spirit of God may uh, minister to us and edify us and build us up in the most holy faith. May you prepare our hearts, Lord, as we prepare our hearts as well to hear the word of God for 
to worship Christ, who I pray is lifted up and glorified today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.